Socks on 35th is next. Doors open on the left. How's it going, everybody? My name is Duke Coughlin, and welcome to the Socks on 35th podcast. We are back with another exciting episode covering yo Chicago White Sox. As always, I'm joined by our panelists, Jordan Lazowski and Nick Gower. Nick was actually at the game earlier today. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Yeah, Nick, how was your ballpark experience? Yeah, it was nice. I've So I've gone now to actually four of their last seven games, I think, because they had this big homestand, and they're winning so much. That's why I keep going. Like today, I didn't I didn't have tickets. I just decided an hour before, like, you know what? The weather's great. They're on track to sweep. I mean, I didn't want to jinx it, but it felt like a good day to go. I actually, I was sitting, I, I didn't even tell you guys this before, but I, did, I was sitting right behind um, Michael Massey's family. So when he hit that home run in the second inning, they were going absolutely crazy and they weren't even wearing Royal stuff. So obviously I, before they revealed that I put it together, they were related, which makes sense since he's a local guy, but it, it was fun to to see them all happy and um, more fun to see the White Sox win so often because I just think that the last couple of years of going to so many home games, at least for me, it's almost at times felt like a chore. Like it's still baseball. I still like it, but it's like just to come see them lose like three to three to one on a couple of bloop singles that we hit and no home runs. Seeing them actually score runs at these games is like it feels really good all of a sudden. Massey was I, but he is my age, I believe. Our age, we're all relatively the same. I wonder if we played him at Montini because he went to Brother Rice. I was thinking about that today. I'm like, I don't recognize the name, but it's like I I'd have to think more about it. Um, but I'm excited to. Well, it's bittersweet to finally get to some games. Our high school season ended, not the end we wanted. Um, certainly, a little bit of a disappointment, but I'm mo- I'm most sad. I I'm going to start skipping when I think it might be the last game of the year. I'm sitting there for the seniors, like crying and stuff. I'm like, oh my god, this is just. I'm like, I'm the coach. This is not good. Um, <laughs> but other than that, I'll I'll actually go to my first game, major league game this week. It'll be on the north side, though. So it's a little... Uh, it's, I, I'm not pleased about it either. I'm rooting for the Mets. Um, but I'm at least looking forward to going to a game. Coach Laz has a heart. You just love I it. I know. Right? Like, I, I'm not that... I got a little soft spot. I'm not like I am on Twitter, necessarily. <laughs> I'm going to miss those kids. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's kind of the benefit to being a coach. Well, that's great to hear, boys. Uh, glad you guys had a good weekend. Um I unfortunately had to miss my first Saturday Sox home game over the weekend because I couldn't find a Chicago hotel that was less than $300 a night. It's not a money thing as much as it is like the principle of the factor. Uh, I was just going to say, it's, it feels like the principle at a certain point. Yeah, level. no, I, I've, I've paid a lot for a hotel in Chicago, but my Lord. Anyway, we have quite a bit to cover in this episode. So uh, before we get started, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the website at SoxOn35th.com, as well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at SoxOn35th. Um, Nick just actually wrote a pretty good article on Lucas Giolito. Um, obviously, you know, our boy Laz here is a huge Lucas Giolito stan. Um, he enjoyed it. So certainly, if you like Lucas Giolito, you will enjoy it too. Um, but jumping right into it, guys. Um, obviously the White Sox had a pretty good week of baseball, um, winning series against the guardians. And of course, sweeping the Kansas city Royals, uh, the first sweep of the season that you just feel so good. You know, it was, it was so much of a monkey off our back once we won the first series, but getting to sweep a team that we lost the series to that. We really didn't have any business losing the last series to, uh, it was a good feeling. Um, obviously we've seen, uh, some improvement from pitching staff, seen a couple standouts and, uh, seen another week of Pedro Grafal managing, um, Nick, I'll let you go ahead and start just because you were at the game. 
Um, how are you feeling about the series? What's the vibe? Um, how are you feeling about the Chicago White Sox right now? Yeah, so, I mean, it goes without saying that I'm feeling better. I don't know if I'm as far along as some that I'm reading and maybe even you too. Like, I'm not ready to say they're back. However, I'm at least watching and enjoying it. And the fact that they're winning so much, like, it, honestly, it's kind of annoying that they have such a good week. I mean, they went, what, 5-1 and one this week? And then you look and they're 10 games under 500. Like, it really speaks to how deep the whole was and is. But at the same time, you look at the schedule going forward and you think, actually... They're playing better. I could see some of these weeks piling up and the AL Central is so bad. Like I'm not I'm not ready to say that they're even close to dead. And the fact that they're winning all these games is really encouraging, especially now with um, the offense getting more consistent, the starting pitching kind of uh, regressing to the mean positively. I know Clevenger got, got hurt recently. That just came out on Sunday today. But uh, other than that, I feel like everything's going really well. I don't really have like a specific player or thing to highlight like i usually do just because there's so much good going on it's it's not like we only have Luis robert to talk about like a couple weeks ago there there's pretty much everyone is at least having some some peaks here which is nice to see at the same time yeah nick to your point it feels like the past two weeks we've been talking like oh it's Luis robert this Luis robert that it's it's nice to have you know putting a rundown together for this it's nice to have multiple guys we want to talk about rather than just one uh, socks are back. No, I'm not going to go that far yet necessarily, but, um, my feeling coming into this, and I think just the general tone of the podcast for me is a lot different in a five and one week versus a four and two. And people are like, why are you going to nitpick over a single game? Well, that's a two game swing in terms of where you are at four games over 500 or two games over 500 on the week. Like if you go four games over 500 for another week or two, now you're back to 500 for the most part. Like you're, you're in striking distance. Um, and I think that for me is the biggest part of, you know, each of the individual performances are great. I think there's a few things, you know, look at how Griffalls managed a few games. I think we have some concerns over, but at the end of the day, finishing five and one versus four and two is a huge, huge difference that I, I don't think can be understated when you are trying to fight and claw your way back into it's a pretty terrible division. I think we're at a spot with the way this team is playing right now that if we are going to nitpick, it's it's a lot tiny, you know, it's a lot tinier things to nitpick. You know what I mean? It, it's a good problem to have compared to kind of looking at it from a, a broad scope and being like, this team's terrible. Everything's going wrong. Where do we even start? Like, you know, there's a lot more positives with this team than negatives. And, uh, you know, I think that's while we are going to nitpick here and there, it's, it's nice to have that. You know what I mean? It's nice to just not have to be negative about everything. It's nice to be able to see a lot of positives, but you know, with positives, you will see some things where it's like, okay, probably would have done that differently. Maybe would have bat this guy here. Um, wish this guy was taking, you know, walks a little bit more, wish this guy was hitting. And obviously we'll touch on a little bit of that because with all the positivity, there are still guys that are struggling just massively, you know, big, big slumps. Um, Tim Anderson's a guy that kind of comes, comes to head. And that's something I do want to touch on here in a little bit, but I don't want to sit here and say, yeah, the socks are back. Like I could, I can kind of give the whole like juiced up Duke approach. Like, yes, socks are back. World series back on everything, man. It's just nice seeing a pulse with this team. It's nice seeing this team. You know, I, I, I thought Ozzie Guillen last month encapsulated it. Like the white Sox are historically a blue collar team. They're a team that even if they're not good, they're playing hard and they're fun to watch. And, you know, while we went 12 and eight so far since that uh, we broke the losing streak, it's a, uh, it's a fun team to watch. And uh, it, it may, it makes you think like this team might have what it takes to turn it around. 
I think at the end of the day, too, a lot of fans will sit and say, well, you beat up on the Guardians and Royals. And the reality is that's who you have to beat up on. You have to win these games. If a classic team that does well gets into the playoffs, it's the classic just beat all the bad teams, win those series, and go 500 against everyone else. That's how that's the formula for winning Major League Baseball divisions at, at this rate. Am I saying that they're now going to win this division? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying this is the type of baseball they need to play. So people who want to be pessimistic about it, it's like, yeah, they had to do this anyway, though. This is the type of baseball you should expect to see from a team that has division and beyond aspirations. Like, this needed to happen. This week needed to be this way. And, and the fact that they played so well while doing it feels good. Well, you know, and I think, uh, and Nick, I'll let you jump into this point after me. Um, I think if you want to make an argument about playing the Guardians and playing the Royals, look at that first month of our schedule. Just go ahead and take another glance at who the hell we had to play. And it was a murderer's row of baseball teams. Like we played nearly every, nearly all of the top baseball, all the top teams in baseball, like We've had to play the Rays twice. We we got killed by Toronto. Like we played the team that was the NL, um, the NL team in the World Series last year. Like we, it was a tough stretch. And I don't want to make excuses for that losing streak because it was awful. And we shouldn't have started the season as bad as we did. But like, if you want to make an argument that oh well, you guys are just beating up on the Guardians and the Royals, it's like well, take a look at the teams who have who killed us early in the season to get us to this point. So. I, I'm not. I'm not really about that. It, you know, like you said, Jordan. Teams in the division, you got. You have to play them. You know, you have to beat them. Like there's, there's no other way around that. And we see great teams all the time lose to basement dwellers in their own division because they see them more than any other team in baseball. So, I'm not. I'm not totally with that argument. You know what I mean? So I'm with you on that, Jordan. Yeah, I agree with you guys. And I think just to sort of break the ice here and start talking about some specific players. I think that one of the reasons you're seeing the White Sox beat the teams they should beat. It's not just because, yes, certain players are getting better, but I think that it's collectively you're seeing, for example, the pitching staff is getting a lot more reliable, both the starters and the bullpen. Of course, you already had, uh, say, Giolito, who's been good all year, but now Michael Kopech just threw a gem of an outing against Kansas City. And again, people will say, oh, it's just Kansas City, but his stuff looked really good. He was locating better than I've ever seen him locate. And we always knew he had that in him, and we always knew that he was better on extra rest. That was the thing last year, too. But just seeing it, I was at that game too. Seeing that in person was just, I've so I've been to, I was at Mark Burley's perfect game and I was at Carlos Rodon's no hitter in person. And seeing Kopech the other night, that was to me like on par, if not slightly more impressive, even just because of the way he was blowing everyone away, no matter what they tried. It, it was just so effortlessly dominant. And so you have that from Kopech and even Lance Lynn, he's a, back-to-back good starts even today i didn't think his stuff uh, again in person maybe it was better on tv i didn't think his stuff looked that good it was more so he was just kind of battling through and getting the swings and misses when he needed them uh correct me if i'm wrong on that uh duke or jordan no, but... it, it, his stuff really wasn't all that great today his his locations yeah. were getting yeah. were a little rough and he left that hanger for massey yeah, yeah exactly but but he's pitching better like you can't deny that especially compared to how bad he was early in there he's finding ways to work through i don't think he's back to like you know, 2021 last time, but I think he's at least good enough where you don't have to DFA him anytime soon either. Like he's at least a back-end starter. So you're just seeing all these starting pitchers come together at once. I mean, I'm still pretty confident that Cease will bounce back too. I'm not worried about him really. So that's really nice to see. I think that's the main reason because the offense, while it's been better, 
it's not really a revelation either. It's not like they're winning all these games 10 to nothing. Like they're scoring, you know, four or five runs in these games, which is enough because the pitching has been really good. So that's been nice to see. Yeah, I think first off on Cease, actually James Fagan had a really good article uh, that included some thoughts from him. Kind of what we all kind of thought, part of it is he's kind of flying open again. Kind of those 2020 type issues where the fastball's cutting a bit and he's flying open, so everything's pulling off to the left-hand side, well, his glove side. Um, And he's aware of it. I I think it's harder to make mechanical changes than I think people are aware of, especially in season. Um, but the reality is he's able to manage it a bit better this time around with more experience. But to put some additional numbers on Nick, your point about just the pitching staff as a whole, last 10 games before Sunday, starting pitchers, third in F4 in baseball, eighth in ERA, 10th and fifth. That's a top 10 staff. That's what you're looking for, a top 10 staff in baseball. They're not really striking guys out. They're not really walking a ton either. They're controlling their FIP. They're controlling their stuff by preventing the long ball. Fourth lowest home runs per fly ball over the last 10 games. That's controlling it. Same thing for the relievers. Seventh in F4. Fourth in ERA. Ninth and fifth. They're controlling the team by preventing the long ball, which was an issue for both starters and relievers throughout the early part of the year. Seventh lowest home run per fly ball rate over these past 10 games. Second in walk rate. Huge issue for them early this season has turned itself around. 19 and two-thirds scoreless innings in a row out of the bullpen. That is turning itself around. You look at that all together, and it's funny. It's like two weeks ago, even less than that, people are calling for Katz's head. It's like at a certain point, you either give too much credit or too little credit to coaches. We don't have to go down that road. But at a certain point, you knew things were probably going to turn themselves around. You have the back of baseball cards. That's why it's a common phrase, regression to the mean. You have numbers to look back on for each of these guys, both starters and relievers, and it's good to see. And it's, like you said, Nick, the driver for this turnaround. I mean, the Sox walked once today uh, in, in the series finale, and it was Luis Robert. So they're not really getting on base other ways. So the four or five runs they score have to be enough. And with the staff the way it is right now, it is. Very well put. Very well put. Um, I just, just to get maybe a little bit more specific as far as like guys in the rotation and guys who have just been performing well in general. Um, I think the most impressive part about Michael Kopech's start the other night had to have been his lack of walks. He was really controlling the zone. He was super confident in his stuff. And, you know, starts like that, it kind of reminds me of him against the Yankees last year as well. You know, it's very easy to get down on Michael Kopech when he has struggles early on in the season. You know, when he was tipping pitches in the home opener and giving up home runs, you know, when he's having issues with walks. You know, I I believe my first article with Sox on 35th was kind of examining the difference between Michael Kopech starts when he walks people in the first three innings compared to when he does it. And it's just night and day. Um, And, you know, you see a start like that and you it kind of reminds you why he was as highly touted as he was you know and it's you see flashes of it you see things where um he really just looks like this dominant pitcher that we all thought he would be um and that's what keeps me going on michael kopech um i hope he continues to move in that direction obviously consistency is the name of the game um and that's something that a lot of our young pitchers have had issues with um but it's nice to see us moving in the right direction you know lucas giolito 
Um, I, I think the number one thing with Lucas that I've been noticing, and even with Lance Lynn, um, they are not getting too down when they make mistakes early on. They are continuing, continuing to battle, continuing to just kind of, you know, put it all out there and they've gotten great results out of it. At no point have I seen them just have flat out meltdowns down there out there. And that's a huge plus because early on in the season, if something went wrong early on, especially for Lance Lynn, you kind of saw how that start was about to go. Whereas you see his start against the Royals didn't have his best stuff, gave up the home run early, but he just, he just continued to battle out there. And even Lucas Giolito's last start wasn't what were they the strikeout numbers that Lucas usually hits? Absolutely not. You know, did he get, did he get roughed up? Did he get into situations where it was less than ideal for a starter to get into? Absolutely. He battled, never, never let hit, never let the game get out of his hands. And that's the type of uh, resolve that I like seeing out of the rotation. Then that's how we're going to win long-term it throughout the course of the season It's continuing to play like that. You know, it's always important when the offense scores runs, it's even more important for that offense to see the pitcher, even when they're struggling to continue to go out there and battle. Um, I know it's a bit of a long-winded point, but I do want to bring up as well, Yohan Mankata, six-game hitting streak right now. Um, since he's been back, he's been seeing the uh, baseball incredibly well. Um, obviously, a small sample size, but I believe his slugging percentage is as high as it's been since 2019. Um, hopefully, we continue to move in that direction. He's absolutely crushing baseballs when he sees them. Sure, they're not going over the wall, but we don't need him to. You know, we, we, it would be nice to have a guy like you, Oman kind of hitting you 30 home runs a year, but when he's hitting gaps and he's hitting them hard and he's driving in runs, that's all that matters. And he's been doing an incredible job at it. Yeah, dude, I'm glad you brought up Moncada because, well, I think that and I, I'm guilty of this too. We've talked so much about Luis Robert and Jake Berger because they, they deserve it. But Moncada, even Yasmani Grandal, there are a lot of offensive performances on this team that have been very good and just aren't getting their due. I mean, for Moncada, of course, he got injured, so it, it's understandable why he wasn't getting that much praise. But And Grandal, too, has been on and off, not the injured list, but with his hamstring issue. But it's just nice to see that the offense, even on these lineups like, like Sunday where Tim Anderson and Andrew Vaughn didn't start, you look up and down the lineup, and sure, you have you know, Hans or Alberto or someone like that, but it's not like at one point in April, you looked at the lineup and there were a few guys where you just, you just didn't want them off. They felt like automatic outs. And now, and this is in part because someone like Gavin Sheets is hitting a lot better as of late. Now you look up and down the lineup and it looks a lot more dangerous, Just not just because of health, but because of um, positive regressions as well. So overall, I think that it's nice because it's like, yeah, the offense is, it's it's been good. I, I wouldn't say it's been good enough, especially when you start facing tougher teams, you're going to have to score more than, you know, these four or five runs we're seeing every now and then. I think there was one outburst on offense this week where they had like, you know, seven, eight runs and that was it. So I'd like to see a little more consistency on, on that end, but it's hard to nitpick because everyone for the, for the most part is at least hitting well enough. And we'll talk about Tim Anderson. I think he's kind of sticking out like a sore thumb when I, when I say that, but other than that, this week, everyone's been great. And that's, that was nice to see. One guy on the offense I do want to nitpick on, and I, I don't really talk much about him as Andrew Vaughn personally. Um, at a certain point, we need to start seeing a little bit more from him uh, in the power department. Personally, um, I think this is a player. If you're going to be a first baseman, if you're going to be a cornerstone there, your slugging's got to be a little bit higher than just over 400. I think he works good at bats. I, I think he does a lot of good things on the baseball field, but at the same time, that is a premium position for power, and you have to be able to supply it. Um, that is someone I think has come up a lot on Sox Twitter, uh, among Sox fans. 
And I think it's for valid reasons, simply because, again, work good counts, work good at-bats, absolutely do all those things. Find room in your game, and this goes for a lot of guys here, honestly, find room in your game to add to the power department, because especially at a premium position, because you are going to need to carry this team on offense at points in the season. And if you can't do it with the long ball, you're going to make it hard on yourself and the entire team. Yeah, for sure. I think seeing more power out of Vaughn, even when he's going well, you let see more power out of him. I think the criticism has been a lot in the last couple of weeks because not only is he not hitting for power, but he hasn't been getting on base as much as he was earlier in the year. He is the kind of guy where I wouldn't be surprised, and Jordan, you probably agree. I wouldn't be surprised if a month from now we look back at this conversation and think, oh, look, Andrew Vaughn has a 130 way to run created plus now and a 850 OPI. You, you know, like he's, he's the kind of guy who can just take off all of a sudden and no one would be shocked. I'm hoping that's what happens. But another guy that I would nitpick on is the other Andrew, Ben Intendi. And he actually was pretty good this week in that he was getting on base a lot more often. I like that he's been taking more walks. But the problem is, I mean, again, we talked about this in our, I think it was our preseason episode. The problem is this is his, like his peak. Like this is peak Ben Intendi, and it's good, but it's not really changing the game. And I, I know the common response that would be it doesn't need to because you have other guys in their lineup who can do that. But I don't know. I've, I've just been a little underwhelmed overall. I think that I mean you look at his stats. He's up to a ninety weighted runs created plus now, but his slugging percentage and on base percentage are almost equal. On base three forty one, slugging three fifty one. And again, he doesn't need to be a power hitter. I get that, but we're kind of getting actually. What I said on that podcast was, I don't think he's going to be bad by any means, but the 2021 version of him rather than 2022 is a possibility, which is not to say that he is the 2021 version because that that Benintendi hit for a lot more power without getting on, on base as much, but he was also just a worse hitter overall because in 2022, he was getting on base you know 37% of the time, even without much power. This year, we're kind of getting a mix where he's not hitting for power and he's getting on base, but he's getting on base less than he did last year. And it's, it's early, you know, maybe he'll start hitting for power. But when you factor in that his defense has been fine, I think, at best. I know Steve Stone always hypes it up, but I haven't been as impressed aside from that one catch against Baltimore. It's just overall not something that I feel is worth the contract or worth really that much hype. But Duke, I know you're a big Benintendi guy, so I'll let you jump in here. But 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 Benny and the slaps. Yeah, no, um... <laughs> I'm sorry. I've had I've I've wanted to say that I'm on microphone so bad just because I tweeted out so much. People are probably sick of me about it with, at this point. But with I, you know, with Andrew, nothing that you really said is wrong. You know, I can't sit here and be like, you know, oh no, it'll the power will come and Andrew, you know, he's playing up to his contract, everything like that. I guess the biggest thing when you run into a player like this, um, when you pay a guy like this, and I kind of do this in other sports, it gets really easy to look at his contract compared to his production and think, okay, no, it, it should he really be making this money? I kind of hit a point where if I stop paying attention to how much he's getting paid, he looks like a fine ball player to me. And that's that's kind of how I'm trying to look at it. Like, is is his contract going to stop us from signing other players? You know, maybe, but I think... You know, we, we, we root for an organization who doesn't really like paying anybody anyway. So it, it gets it gets hard for me to ever have buyer's remorse when Jerry Reinsdorf's the one that's signing the check. You know what I mean? So it, he's giving us something. He's giving us a pretty dependable everyday player. Um, his defense hasn't been like out of this world or anything, but I, I would say he's somebody that you feel fairly confident about in left field. You don't think he's going to be a, um, 
he's not going to be somebody that's going to cost you like numerous runs or anything like that. Um, the plays that he's missed on were going to be difficult plays. I feel in the first place. Um, I, I do like the attempts that he's making at those plays, you know, whether he's just a little short on a dive or anything like that, those are baseballs. He just probably wasn't going to get to anyway. And unless you have a gold glove or you have the speed of like a Luis Robert, most guys probably aren't going to get to that in the first place. So like, I, I understand the critiques of him, And do I think he should be hitting for, with more power? Absolutely. Do I think he should be getting on base a little bit more? Yes. For as far as his career arc goes, he should be. Um, I wonder what he's being asked to do from, from the coaching staff, honestly. I don't know if he's being asked to just strictly be kind of that guy to get a ball in play, you know, to just always be sure, like try to hit gaps, try to uh, move runners, try to get on base any way we can because you're a good base runner. Like, I, I don't know if they just have kind of maybe waned against him potentially trying to hit the long ball too much, you know, to maybe avoid just useless pop-ups. But who knows? Hopefully, you know, as the summer kind of moves along, gets a little bit hotter in Chicago, we hopefully see, we start seeing the baseball fly a little bit more. Um, I know it has been nicer out, but it has been a little bit windy. And uh, I know I'm trying to make every excuse in the world for Andrew Benintendi right now, but weatherman Duke over here, my goodness. Over overall, man, I just like when you when you don't think about his contract, it was just a weather appreciation day a couple weeks ago last. So I'm not that far off. Um, when you just look at the ball player, he, he's just a guy you can look at as an everyday guy and you don't feel like you're losing anything by having anybody else out there. You know, he's a guy that would be able to find a place on nearly every major league baseball team. So, yeah, he, he needs more. I agree with you on that, Nick, but he's he's fine. I, I, I'm not I'm not overly worried about Andrew Benintendi when I'm thinking of players who need to step it up on this team. And I've looked at it from the standpoint of with Benintendi at the standpoint of, you know, he, he fits well because he kind of acts as in a fully healthy team, a good left handed counterbalance to all of the potential home run power. So he doesn't need to be the one who comes in and supplies it. You're supposed to already have it here. That was sort of my original argument with Benintendi, while still believing he has 15 home run power in him. He's done it before. That's not a wild thing to say. At the same time, yeah, yeah I'm in agreement. You need to get more um, production from him at current. Stop me if you heard this before. Uh, there was a great article by James Fegan the other day um, in, in regards to Benintendi as well, saying he, he said he really just hasn't felt in sync yet. It's unfortunate because it's almost two months into the season and, you know, you're still not feeling in sync. That's unfortunate, but that that's the realities of baseball um, at the same time. Like you, you're just not going to feel yourself 162 games a year. You'd like to feel it at some point sooner rather than later. Um, but that's certainly something to watch in terms of Ben 10 because the, the defense isn't overwhelming. Um, what he's provided is good and it's better than most people who will say, hey, they really haven't felt themselves this season. I'll take this sort of production, but you need more just to not even just from a contract standpoint, from the position you play standpoint, a slap hitting left handed left fielder like that. That's not as valuable as someone who's going to put the ball over the fence once in a while. Yeah. And to be clear, um, I don't think I'm not saying Ben Tendy start hitting home runs now. That's fine if he's not going to do that. What I'm saying is get on base more if you're not going to hit home runs. That, that's kind of it. And to his credit, this past week he's been doing that. Like if you if you told me to only watch games from you know Monday to Sunday of the the Cleveland and Kansas City series, then I would be fine with him. Like that that was a good week for him. 
the problem is you need to see that a lot more consistently than you have. And I don't want to spend too much time on him, but he hasn't been that bad. And, you know, there have been players who have been far worse. It's just that we haven't talked about him really at all since the season started. So I wanted to make sure that got in. No, I mean, and he's he's kind of a guy that people kind of forget to talk about at certain points because he's just kind of a constant, you know. He, he just kind of has been who he has been this year compared to a lot of other people who have really had peaks and valleys that they've been dealing with. One of those, you know, the, very, the obvious elephant in the room of somebody that is struggling on this baseball team and a lot of people really just can't put their thumb on the Y is Tim Anderson. You know, I think uh, – you don't have to look any farther than his stats right now compared to his uh, his season norms to really see that he's just having a tough COVID out there. You know, as as of today's game, he was two batting two forty six, two eighty two on base, and only a two eighty eight slugging percentage. You know, he hasn't hit a home run this year. Um, he's only had about one hundred twenty four plate appearances. But I I really uh, I really hate to see Tim in the way that he is right now because it feels like it's all mental right now. Like it feels like something is obviously bothering him. Something obvious, like he just is in such a like this total like sort of rut. And you see it a lot with struggling baseball players where they just go from having a lot of fun and you know being really light and being chill and having you know just being a good teammate all around to kind of just you know feeling like they're kind of on their own planet. You know, I, I've heard uh, I'm really into sports psychology when it comes to struggling baseball players, and you know I think there's a lot that goes behind it that's mental. You know. And when you're in a situation like that, you try so hard to come into the uh, come into the clubhouse every day, try to do everything like you normally do it, try to do everything in the same routine you've always done it, and think just eventually that it that it'll click. And sometimes it will, and you know probably will at some point with Tim. I think he will eventually turn it around. But um, when it takes as long as it has, it gets very frustrating. You get very down on yourself, and uh, even when you start doing things right, you have a hard time really enjoying it or really you know, giving yourself credit for it because you feel like you should be doing it all the time. So it's, it's a difficult thing with Tim. Um, I think he'll turn it around, but as a guy who I thought a lot of people were underrating heading into this season, um, it's just really hard to watch him play the way he is right now. Yeah. I mean, the problem is, you know, players are going to have peaks and valleys all season. The problem is it's harder to sit with it because of where this team is at. If, you know, a lot of people are starting to say now, you know, do you move him out of the leadoff spot? And it was something I mentioned back when I was getting clowned for the Robert take early on this season by moving him down. I mentioned, hey, maybe move T.A. out of that leadoff spot. The reality is when a guy like that is struggling, if the team is going fine overall, like if they didn't have that 10 game losing streak predating this 12 and 8, it'd probably be fine to leave him there or let him work through it. But as a player, a player like that who's struggling, that doesn't, he's improved his block rate. Don't get me wrong. But a guy who doesn't provide any value outside of hits when they're struggling, it is so hard to put them at the top of the lineup and keep them there because you're not walking. You're not providing the occasional home run. You're either you're hitting or you're nothing. And, And those are the types of guys I have a hard time keeping in spots in the lineup even with their history, when they're struggling, move him out, get him a little bit of stress off himself. Just get back, get back to your game and go from there. Again, it'd be easier to keep him in that spot. If this team wasn't trying to fight and claw itself out of this, if you are fighting and clawing yourself out of this, you have to give your best hitters right now, the most at bats. I think it's that simple. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And I think, 
with Anderson in particular, it's tough because he looked really good, I thought, early in the year before he got mm-hmm. hurt in Minnesota. And then ever since he came back, like that's really been the issue. Like if you if he had the same performance he had before he got hurt, like sure he wasn't hitting for power, but he was a lot more patient at the plate. He was than usual Tim Anderson, you know, just spraying hits all over the field. Like that was I think everyone's totally fine with that. If he if he's kinda like what you're just talking about with Ben Nintendo, you don't have to hit home runs if you're gonna be really good at something else, which Anderson has been for, you know, what, five years now. It kind of reminds me of last year actually when Anderson was actually much, much better than he was this year and with a much larger sample. It was like late May when he got hurt against the Cubs, I think, and he was hitting like three sixty or something crazy at that point in the year. And then when he came back from the injury, he was never the same. And then he got hurt again, and then his season ended. I'm not saying that's happening again. Obviously, I hope he doesn't get hurt again and that he picks it up. But I'm also not that down on him. I mean, I'm not saying you guys are. I know a lot of people are. But I don't think that he's suddenly lost the power stroke because he at least had some power before. I'm I'm hopeful that it's just, you know, in a bit of a rut, like Duke was saying, post-injury, maybe rush back a little too soon and, Kind of like with Andrew Vaughn, maybe a couple of weeks from now, we're looking back and thinking, remember when people were concerned about Tim Anderson? Like, he's due for one of those heaters, and I don't think he's lost skill from from these injuries. Like, he clearly still has the fast hands and, and everything that makes him so great. So, it's one of those wait-and-see things for me. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I think, you know, it's you're going to get into ruts. I think there are fans who've sat and talked about, like, oh, do they even bother picking up his option next year? It's like, no, if... regardless you're probably going to pick that option up um i think it's just for me it's the general sense of urgency you're behind right like you have to strike the balance between you know you don't want to show you're losing faith in the guy but you also can't just continue to send him up there and make outs consistently like even grafal had to eventually move robert down despite his insistence that the two hole was for him you just have to give players the reset. If it means moving him to six or seven for a week just to reset things like he did with Robert, do it. You you just it's the general sense of urgency that changes the narrative of, you know, how long can you just let Anderson scuffle before you make some sort of change? Well, you know, and I think I think people kind of have the impression that uh, Tim would maybe have a little bit of an ego about something like that, but I genuinely don't buy that. I think Tim is I think he's a gamer. I think he's somebody who likes to be coached hard. You know, he was somebody, he's somebody who every, every manager he's had, he's, he's been kind of a model citizen. You know, he hasn't, he hasn't like been abrasive or anything like that to coaching. He's always been somebody who's been very coachable. So maybe he does kind of need that challenge, you know? And like I said, like I said, at the kind of the top of the point is I just really think it's, I really think it's something mental that he's trying to work through Um, happens in baseball. But, you know, if this does continue, obviously he's going to need to, uh, you know, maybe move in the lineup until he can kind of figure it out. I think Tim Anderson's going to figure it out. I'm not worried about that. Tim, we, anyone who thinks that Tim is just magically going to fall off a cliff, like you're, you're setting yourself up for a really bad take down the road. But I think, I think, uh, you know, it's just kind of the timing of it. Him getting injured definitely didn't help. And, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think we're still trying to kind of find the balance of this team. And, you know, when it comes to finding that balance, you know, especially with guys like Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger playing insanely well, um, you start kind of wondering how this roster is going to be built once uh, Aloy Jimenez returns. You know, because obviously Aloy is a guy who is insanely important to the lineup. He was getting – I don't know if he was – I don't know if there was a batter that was any hotter than him in that last, like, week that he was healthy. 
Um, and of course the injury that he got was something that it was completely out of his control. It was just like the most like snake bitten type injury. Um, so you got, you're going to have to wonder how he gets moved into the lineup. Um, obviously very, very possibly play some, uh, reps out in right field, but, um, not sure how you guys are kind of feeling about it. I'm not sure if there's any names you think that could potentially get moved around, possibly sent down with, uh, Aloy getting called back up. But I think, uh, his nucleus in the lineup, that that extra power threat and being able to pair him with a guy like Luis Robert in, into the middle of the lineup again will be uh, a good problem to have. Yeah, you're going to have to play the hot hand. It's If Vaughn's struggling, well, then Jake Berger moves to third, uh, Gavin's the DH, Gavin Sheets is the DH, and Eli's in right field. Or if, ba- based on the matchup, you can say, all right, well, it's a lefty, so we really don't need to force Sheets in the lineup, so you play burger you play jimenez and you go from there it'll be matchup dependent i think that's nice that you kind of have guys who seem to believe in analytics like hey you have information available to you build a lineup based on who's hot who's going to see this matchup the best so on so forth um griffal mentioned burger in the outfield thank god he said he's not there yet i hope he never i hope and pray he never gets there um, cause if you think Sox fans are mad about him, Menes playing the outfield, I can't wait to see if Berger ever stepped out there, but overall, I think it's going to be play the hot hand. It's a good problem to have, and it would be nice to finally have that sort of problem. Yeah. Agreed. It's actually funny about the outfield thing. Cause Berger, I'm not, I know you weren't saying this, but Berger's actually pretty fast. Like, I don't think he would be a good outfielder necessarily, but if you gave him a full off season, I don't think he'd be like the worst ever not, I'm not saying I want them to do that but it, it wouldn't shock me but overall yeah I think what, what you guys are saying is correct I think you can play Jimenez in right field every now and then and with Berger at DH like that's fine Jimenez was kind of doing that anyway a little bit before the injury um, or before the appendectomy so I think that's okay what I would personally do is if Berger is going to be this good of a hitter like you know one of the best hitters in baseball legitimately I would just bite the bullet and play him at second base because I know it's not <laughs> I know, I know it's not. Thank his, you. Yeah. Like, I don't think he'd be a good defender there necessarily, but it's better than making your defense worse at two positions by moving Moncada to second base and Berger at third. Cause then you at least keep third base, you know, dynamite with you on. Yeah. And then at second base, you have someone who's probably below average, but he'll hit so well that it's still a net positive. I, I don't think they'll do that. It seems like they're not even considering it, but. I think that's the easiest solution because then you can still DH Jimenez. You can still leave right field open for Sheets or Oscar Colas or even Clint Frazier if he if he hits. So uh, that's what I would do, but I don't think it happens. I think we'll just see a lot of Eloy Jimenez in right field. I want to make a callback to our good friend of the show, Sean Anderson, who was flabbergasted when I brought up that Jake Berger should be playing second base. Listen, I I was somebody who was a proponent of this probably the last two years. I think I could pull up about 100 tweets of me saying Jake Berger needs to be at second base. And listen, is it going to work defensively? You know, it, you're going to get your peaks and valleys. Like, it's going to be a little bit of a, a growing pain type situation. But even looking one year difference between Jake Berger playing third base for what he was doing last year compared to this year significantly better defensively at third base than we saw. Is he an ideal defensive candidate? Absolutely not. But, you know, I, and I've brought up this argument before Jeff Kent made a career on being a bad defender and a great hitter. Like it's, it's not crazy. It's not unheard of is it's not ideal, but when you have a guy like Jake Berger who has completely killed the notion that he can't hit right handers and should only uh, bat against lefty pitchers, 
he, he, he can hit, he can hit, he can hit anybody. Does not matter who is pitching. He can hit them. You need to make sure he stays in the lineup. And I, I don't see that in the outfield. I, I really don't. That's pretty wild if you ask me, but I think Jake Berger at second base makes just so much sense. Um, but that is, uh, that's going to be Pedro Grafal's call, you know? Um, but anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that is all we have for the Sox on 35th podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere else you get your podcasts. Um, also, be sure to check out the website at SoxOn35th.com, as well as following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at SoxOn35th. Stay up to date with your Chicago White Sox. This has been Duke Coughlin, joined as always by Jordan Wazowski and Nick Gower. We will be back next week as we cover another week of White Sox baseball. Buying beer at the baseball game goes directly into Jerry Ryan's source pocket. Thank you, and go Sox. Six and a half back. Go Sox. <laughs> go Sox. <laughs>